58. Spanish Liberty, and the Royal Gist, finding the object missed, sneaks off, and leaves his dupe for the executioner. There, however, the similitude fails. Louis Philippe sleeps in safety if, indeed, the ghosts of his Spanish victims let him sleep at all, whilst for just, the carpenter, he is marked for the guillotine, could justice have her own, we should see the king of the French at the bar of Spain, were the world guided by abstract right, one fate would fall to the carpenter and the king, history, however, will award his majesty his just deserts, there is a Newgate calendar for kings as well as for meaner culprits, there are, it is said, at the present moment in France 50,000 communists, foolish, vicious men, many of them, doubtless, worthy of the galleys, and many, for whom the wholesome discipline of the madhouse would be at once the best remedy and punishment, 50,000 men organized in societies, the object of which is what young France would denominate philosophical plunder, a relief from the canker-eating chains of matrimony, a total destruction of all objects of art, and the common enjoyment of stolen goods. It is against this unholy confederacy that the moral force of Louis Philippe's government is opposed. It is to put down and destroy these bands of social brigands that the king of the French burns his midnight oil, and then, having extirpated the robber and the anarchist from France, his majesty for the advancement of political and social freedom would kidnap the baby queen of Spain and her sister, to hold them as trump cards in the bloody game of revolution, that Louis Philippe, the gist of Spain, can consign his fellow conspirator the gist of Paris, to the scaffold, is a grave proof that there is no honor among a certain set of enterprising men, whom the crude phraseology of the world has denominated thieves, it is to make the blood boil in our veins to read the account of the execution of such men as Leon, Ori, and Biori, the foolish martyrs to a wicked cause, never was a great social wrong dignified by higher courage, our admiration of the boldness with which these men have faced their fate is mingled with the deepest regret that the prime conspirators are safe in Paris, that one sits in derision of justice on fellow criminals on men whose crime may have some slight extenuation from ignorance, want, or fancied cause of revenge, that the other, with the surpassing meekness of Christianity, goes to mass in her carriage, distributes her alms to the poor, and, with her soul deed with the blood of the young, the chivalrous, and the brave, makes mouths at heaven in very mockery of prayer. We once were sufficiently credulous to believe in the honesty of Louis Philippe, we sympathized with him as a bold, able, high-principled man fighting the fight of good government against a faction of smoke-headed fools and scoundrel desperados. He has outlived our good opinion the good opinion of the world. The island after all, a lump of crown vulgarity. Pity it is that men, the trusting and the brave, are made the puppets, the martyrs, of such regality. As for Queen Christina, her path, if she had any touch of conscience, must be dogged by the specters of her dupes. She is the Madame Elaith of of royalty, nay, worse the incarnation of Mrs. B.R.O.W.N.R.I.G.G. Indeed, what Johnson applied to another less criminal person may be justly dealt upon her, sir. She is not a woman, she is a speaking cat. Q. Illustration, Punches Pencilings, Mumbrexx, The Recruiting Sergeant, List. W.A.K.L.E. List. New Shakespearean readings. His turn now. They say the owl was a baker's daughter. Oh. How the wheel becomes it. S.H.A.K.S.P.A.R.E. That immense cigar. Our mild cavana. Has at length met with his deserts. And left the sage savons of the fool's hogbed. London. The undisturbed possession of the diligently achieved fool's caps their extreme absurdity. Egregious folly. And loud like gullibility. 
have so splendidly qualified them to support. This extraordinary and heaven-gifted faster is at length laid by the heels. The full-blown imposition has exploded the wretched cheat is consigned to merit endurance, while the treadly gammon and inexampled spoons who were his willing dupes are in full possession of the enviable notoriety necessarily attendant upon their extreme amount of unmitigated folly. This egregious liar and finger-post for thrice inoculated fools set out upon a provincial, starring and starving expedition, issuing bills, announcing his wish to be open to public inspection, and delicately hinting the absolute necessity of shelling out the browns, as though he, Bernard Cavanaugh, did not eat, yet he had a brother, as did, consequently, ways and means for the establishment and continuance of a small commissariat for the ungifted fraternal was delicately hinted at in the various documents containing the pressing invitations to local population to honor him with an inspection. Numerous were the visitors and small the contributions attendant upon the circulation of these documents in madness. Many men are rather notorious in our great metropolis for living upon nothing. That island existing without the aid of such hard food as starved the ass-eared Midas, out these gentlemen of invisible ways and means had a very decent notion of employing four out of the twenty-four hours in supplying their internal economy with such creature comforts as, in days of your disinherited Esau, and procured a somewhat gastronomic celebrity for the far-famed Heliogabalus. But a gentleman who could treat his stomach like a postponed bill in the House of Commons that island adjourn it signed I or take it into consideration, this day seven years, was really a likely person to attract attention and excite curiosity, accordingly. Bernard Cavanaugh was questioned closely by some of his visitors, but he, like the speculation, appeared to be, one not likely to answer. Apparent efforts at concealment invariably lead to doubt, and, doubt engendering curiosity, is very like to undergo, especially from one of the fair sex, a scrutiny of the most searching kind. Eve caused the fall of Adam a daughter of Eve has discovered and crushed this heretofore hidden mystery. This peculiarly empty individual was discovered by the good lady despite the disguise of a black patch upon his nose and an immeasurable outspread of bandana superficially covering that as the asserted useless orifice. His mouth sneaking into the far-off premises of a miscellaneous vendor of ready-dressed eatables, and there Bernard the faster the anti-nourishment and terrestrial food defying wonder the certificate of heaven knows how many deacons. Parsons, physicians, and fools demanded the very moderate allowance for his breakfast of a tuppenny loaf, a sausage, and a quarter of a pound of ham cut fat, that's the beauty of it cut fat. The astonished witness of this singular purchase rushed at once to the hotel, Kavanaugh might contain the edibles. She could not, the affair was blown, an investigation very properly adjudicated upon the case, and three months discipline at the treadmill is now the reward of this arch impostor's merits. So far so good but in the name of common sense let some experienced practitioner in the art of cutting for the simples be furnished with a correct list of the awful asses he has cousined at, hid man blind, and pray heaven they may each and severally be operated, on with all convenient speed, slumber, my darling, during the vacation, the judge's bench in each of the courts at Westminster Hall has been furnished with luxurious air cushions, and heated with the warm air apparatus, Baron Park declares that the bench is now really a snug berth, and, during one of Sergeant Pompas's long speeches, a most desirable place for taking a familiar epistle from John Stump, Esquire Poet Laureate to the Burrow of Grub Guzzle, to Simon N.I.B.B., Esquire Common Council Man of the said Burrow, setting forth the notable plan for the better management of railway directors. Dear Simon, if I were a Parliament man, I'd make a long speech, and I'd bring in a plan, 
and prevail on the House to support a new clause in the very first chapter of criminal laws, but, to guard against getting too nervous or low for my speech your aware would be then a no-go, I'd attack, ere I went, some two bottles of sherry, and chawned all the way ro-dee-dow-dee down dairy, then having arrived just to drive down the phlegm, I'd clear out my throat and pronounce aloud, hem, so th appearance of summers preceded by swallows, make my bow to the house, and address it as follows, Mr. Speaker, the state of the criminal laws, thus, like Cicero, at once go right into the causes such as demands our most serious attention, and strong reprobation, and quick intervention, this rattling of words, which is quite in the fashion, shows the depth of my zeal, and the force of my passion, though the traitor obligingly eased of his head though a wild to the dark frowning gallows is led though the robber, when caught, is most kindly sent hence beyond the bloom wave, at his country's expense, yet so bad, so disgracefully bad, seems to me the state of the law in this land of the free, speak these words in a manner most zealous and fervid that there's no law for those who most richly deserve it, yes, sir, tease a fact not less true than astounding a fact to the wise with instruction abounding, that those who the face of the country destroy, and hurl o'er the best scenes of nature alloy who earth's brightest portions cut through at a dash who mix beauty and beastliness all in one hash, I don't dwell upon deaths, since a reason so brittle is but worthy of minds and poetic and little, base come of the earth, and sweet nature's dissectors, meet with no just reward these same railway directors, I've not mentioned the, laughters, the, bravos, the, hears, agitations, sensations, and, deafening cheers, which of course would attend a speech so patriotic, so truly exciting, and anti-narcotic, in the style I'd proceed, till I prove to the house that these railways, in fact, were a national chows, and the best thing to do for poor earth, to protect her, would be to hang daily a railway director, of course the Han, members could ne'er have a thought of opposing a motion with kindness so fraught, but would welcome with fervent and loud acclamation a project so teeming with consideration, as a model of justice, a boon to the nation, such, Simon, if I were a parliament man, the basis would be, and the scope, of my plan, but my rushlight is drooping so trusting diurnally, to hear your opinion believe me eternally whilst swearing affection, best swear in the lump you're obedient, devoted, admiring, John Stump, the exact tune of this interesting song it has not been in our power to discover it island however, undoubtedly a truly national melody, after due inquiry we have satisfied ourselves that the individual here mentioned is not H.M. single quote as late solicitor general, but one Jonathan Wilde, touching whose history vide Jack Shepard, prospectus for a new handbook of jesters, O.R., young joker's best companion, all the world's a joke, and all the men and women merely jokers, Shakespeare, from the text of Joseph Miller, Masros, Bag and Gammon beg most respectfully to call the strict attention of the reading public to the following brief prospectus of their forthcoming work, on jokes for all subjects, Masros, Bag and Gammon pledge themselves to produce an article at present and matched for application and originality, upon such terms as must secure them the patronage and lasting gratitude of their many admirers, Masros, Bag and Gammon propose dividing their highly seasoned and warranted to keep in any climate universal facetiae into the following various heads, departments, or classes, general jokes for all occasions, chiefly applicable to individuals' names, expressive of peculiar colors, a very superior article on browns if required, bringing in said browns in black and white, embarrassed do, very humorous, 
with duns, and a choice selection of unique references to the copper coin of the realm, worthy the attention of young beginners, and very safe for small country towns, with one whip possessed of a good horse laugh for his own, or rather Mesros, gng. Single quote s jokes, do, do, on greens, very various, bring in sap superbly, and few with peculiar power, with a short cut to a lettuce lettuce, and Hansen's patent safety, a beautiful allusion to the cab age, may be tried when there is an attorney and young doctor, with a perfect certainty of success, do, 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 on Wiggins, very pungent, suitable to the present political position, offering a beautiful contrast of Wiggins and Wigouts, capable of great ramifications, and may be done at least twice a night in a half whisper in mixed society, also some delightful dinner diversions, or joke sauces for all joints, cab's head, brings in fellow feeling, family likeness, cannibalism, tatty a tatty, while the brain sauce and tongue are never failing, goose, same as above, with allusions to the, sage, two or three that stick in the gizzard, and a beautiful workup with a, long liver, ducks, very military, bring in drill, drumsticks, breastwork, and pair of ducks for light clothing and summer wear, snipes, good for lawyers, long bill, gallantry, toast be dear woman, mercantile, run on banks, and infants, living on suction, herring, capital for bride, her ring, petticoats, flannel and otherwise, herring boned, fat people, bloaters, and see, and see, and see, venison, superior, for offering everybody some of your sauce, sad subject, as it ought to be looked upon with a grave eye gravy, wish your friends might always give you such a cut, and see, and see, and see, port, like well-baked bread, best when crusty, flies out of glass because of the bees wing, always happy to become a porter on such occasions, object to general breakages, but partial to the cracking of a bottle, comes from a good seller and a good buyer, Bono wish to be a good buyer to it, all the above with beautiful leading cues, and really with two or three rehearsals the very best things ever done, Sherry, do you Sherry, not just yet, rather unlucky, white whining, like a bottle of port, but no objection to Sherry, hope never to be out of the pale of do dot, if so, will submit to be done brown, and be, after an election dinner, any of the above valued at a six weeks invitation from any voter under the influence of his third bottle, and absolute reversion of the chair, when original chairman disappears under table, champagne, real pleasure quite new never thought of before must be rights, nothing left about it, intoxicating portion of a bird, getting drunk with pheasant's eye, what genders wine, white hens feminine, safe three rounds, and some others not quite compact, hawk, hick, heck, do, hoogus, glass by all means very new, never could decline it, and see, and see, and see, dessert, wish everyone had it, join hands with ladies' fingers and bishops' thumbs, Prince Albert and Queen very choice, Windsor Pierce, meddlers, and pleasant neighbor, nuts, decidedly lunatic, sure to be cracked, disbanding field officers shelling out the colonels, and see, and see, and see, the above are but a few samples from the very extensive joke manufactory of Masros, Gammon and Bag, sole patentees of the powerful and prolific steam joke double action press, they are all warranted of the very best quality, and last date, old jokes taken in exchange of course allowing a liberal percentage, gentlemen's own materials made up in the most superior style, and at the very shortest notice, election squids going off a decided sacrifice of splendid talent, ideas convertible in cons, puns, 
and epigrams, always on hand, laughs taught in six lessons, a treatise on leading subjects for experienced jokers just completed, a large volume of choice cells will be put up by Mr. George Robbins on the 1st of April next, unless previously disposed of by private contract, nd, while worthy the attention of sporting and other punsters, also a choice cashinatory chronicle, entitled, How to Laugh, and What to Laugh at, for further particulars apply to Masros, Bag and Gammon, New and Second Hand Depot for Gentlemen's Left Off Facetia, Monmouth Street, and at their West End Establishment, opposite the Black Doll, and next door to Mr. Catmuck, Seven Dials, Verses on Miss Chaplin and the Back of an ADLPHI Playbill, Let Bolluer and Stevens Write Epics Like Mad, With Lofty Hexameters Grapplin, My Theme Is As Good, Though My Verse Be As Bad, Forties all about Elena Chaplin, as lovely an inf as the rhapsodist sees to inspire his romantical map. Linnaire saw such a charming celestial Chinese, maid of honor, as Elena Chaplin. Oh Yates, let us give thee due credit for this, thou hast an infallible trap lane for mouths cannot hiss, when they long for a kiss, as thou provest with Elena Chaplin. He on the water wherein in, by hexam am rhyme, she dives in an elegant raplin southeasty woolsey. I guess seems bewitched into a line. When ducked in by Elena Chaplin, a fortunate blade will be he can persuade this nymph to some church or some chapin, and change to a wife the most beautiful maid of the theater Elena Chaplin. Cause and effect, the active and speculative alderman Humphrey, being always ready to turn a penny, has entered into a contract to supply a tribe of North American Indians with second-hand wearing apparel during the ensuing winter. In pursuance of this object he applied yesterday at the Court of Chancery to purchase the 530 suits, including 40 removed from the Equity Exchequer, which occupy the cause list for the present term. Upon the discovery of his mistake the Alderman wisely determined on new annuals and republications. Annuals. Forget any not dedicated to the Irish peasantry. By Mayor Dan O'Connell. Friendships offering dedicated by Mr. Robot to the Times. The Book of Beauty edited by Call. Sithorp and Mr. Muntz, the juvenile annual edited by the Queen, and dedicated to Prince Albert republications, on Enorosoology by the Duke of Wellington and Lord Broom, a treatise on eloquence by W. Gibson Craig, M. P. Cooper's Deerslayer by Lord Palmerston, discovery of valuable jewels, public curiosity has been a good deal excited lately by mysterious rumors concerning some valuable jewels, which, it was said, had been discovered at the Exchequer. The pillbox supposed to enclose these costly gems being solemnly opened, it was found to contain nothing but an antique pair of false promises, set in copper, once the property of Sir Francis Burdett, and a bloodstone amulet, ascertained to have belonged to the Duke of Wellington. The box was singularly enough tied with red official tape, and sealed with treasury wax, the motto on the seal being, requiscat in pace, sayings and doings in the royal nursery. We are enabled to assure our readers that His Royal Highness the Duke of Cornwall has appointed Lord Glencall Papspoon in waiting to His Royal Highness, the Lord Mayor, Lord Londonderry, Sir Peter Lorry, Sir John Key, Colonel Sithorpe, Mr. Goulburn, Peter Borthwick, Lord Ashburn, and Sir E. L. Bolluer, were admitted to an interview with His Royal Highness, who received them in full cry and was graciously pleased to confer on our Sir Peter extraordinary proofs of his royal condescension. The distinguished party afterwards had the honor of partaking of cobble with the nursery maids. Sir John Scott Lely has informed us confidentially, that he is not the individual of that name who has been appointed monthly nurse in the palace. 
Sir John feels that his qualifications ought to have entitled him to a preference. The captain of the Britannia states that he fell in with two large whales between Dover and Bologna last Monday. There is every reason to believe they were coming up the Thames to offer their congratulations to the future Prince of Wales. The Reward of Virtue We understand that Sir Peter Loring has been presented with the freedom of the Barber's Company, enclosed in a pewter shaving box of the value of fourpence halfpenny. On the lid is a medallion of a difficulty, it is thought, may arise in bestowing the customary honor upon the chief magistrate of the city, upon the birth of a male heir to the throne. In consequence of the prince being born on the day on which the late mayor went out and the present one came into office, Sir Peter Lorry suggests that a petition be presented to the Queen, praying that Her Majesty may in order to avoid a recurrence of such an awkward dilemma be pleased in future to punch his theatre, court and city. The other evening, the public were put in possession, at Covent Garden Theatre, of a new branch of art and play concoction, which may be called dramatic distillation. By this process the essence of two or more old comedies is extracted, their characters and plots amalgamated, and the whole, rectified, by the careful expunction of equivocal passages. Finally, the drame is offered to the public in active potions, five of which are a dose. The forgotten plays put into the still on this occasion were, The Discovery, by Mrs. Frances Sheridan, and, The Tender Husband, by Sir Richard Steele. From one, that portion which relates to the, city, is taken the court end of the piece belonging to the other. In fact, even in their modern dress, they are two distinct dramas, only both are played at once a wholesome economy being thus exercised over time. Actors, scenery, and decorations, the only profusion required is in the article of patience, of which the audience must be very liberal. The courtiers consist of Lord Dangerfield, who although, or to speak in a sense more strictly domestic because, he has got a wife of his own, falls in love with the young spouse of young Lord Whiffley, then there is Sir Paladin Scruple, who, having owned to eighteen separate tender declarations during fourteen years, dangles after Mrs. Charmington, an enchanting widow, and Louisa Dangerfield, an insipid spinster, the latter being in love with his son. The citizens consist of the female bearbinder, parents and daughter, together with Sir Hector Rumbush and a clownish son, who the former insists shall marry the sentimental Barbara Bearbinder but who, accordingly, does no such thing. The dialogues of these two sets go on quite independent of each other. Action there is none, nor plot, nor, indeed, any progression of incident whatever. Lord Dangerfield tells you, in the first scene, he is trying to seduce Lady Whiffley, and you know he won't get her. Directly you hear that Sir Paladin Scruple has declared in favor of Miss Dangerfield, you are quite sure she will marry the son, in short. There is not the glimmer of an incident throughout either department of the play which you are not scrupulously prepared for so that the least approach to expectation is nipped in the bud. The whole fable is carefully developed after all the characters have once made their introduction, hence, at least three of the acts consist entirely of events you have been told are going to happen, and of the fulfillment of intentions already expressed. One character our enumeration has omitted that of Mr. Winnington, who being a lawyer, stock and marriage broker, is the bosom friend and confident of every character in the piece, and, consequently, is the only person who has intercourse with the two sets of characters. This is a part patched up to be the sticking plaster which holds the two plots together the flux that joins the meddlesome Captain Dangerfield son of the Lord to the sentimental Cytoy and Barbara Bearbinder. In fact, Winnington is the author's go-between. 
by which he makes the twain comedies one the temple bar of the play for he joineth the court with the city. So much for construction, now for detail. The legitimate object of comedy is the truthful delineation of manners. In life, manners are displayed by what people do, and by what they say. Comedy, therefore, ought to consist of action and dialogue. Thank you, exclaims our reader, for this wonderful discovery. Now we have seen that in court and city there is little action, hence it may be supposed that the brilliancy of the dialogue it was that tempted the author to brush away the well-deserved dust under which the discovery and the tender husband had been half a century embedded, but this supposition would be entirely erroneous. The courtiers and citizens themselves were but dull company, it was chiefly the acting that kept the audience on the benches and out of their beds, without action or wit. What then renders the comedy endurable? It is this, all the parts are individualities they speak, each and every of them, exactly such words, by which they give utterance to such thoughts, as are characteristic of him or herself, each after his kind, in this respect the court and city presence as pure a delineation of manners as a play without incident can do a truer one, perhaps, than if it were studded with brilliancies, for in private life neither the denizens of street Jameses, nor those of street bottles were ever celebrated for the brilliancy of their wit, nor are they at present, if we may judge from the fact of Colonel Sithorpe being the representative of the one class, and Sir Peter Lorry the oracle of the other, this nice adaptation of the dialogue to the various characters, therefore, offers scope for good acting, and gets it, Mr. Farron, in Sir Paladin's scruple, affords what tradition and social history assure us is a perfect portraiture of an old gentleman of the last century, more than that, of a singular, peculiar old gentleman, and yet this excellent artist, in portraying the peculiarities of the individual, still preserves the general features of the class, the part itself is the most difficult in nature to make tolerable on the stage, its leading characteristic being wordiness, Sir Paladin, a gentleman in the ultra strict sense of that term seventy years of age, is desirous of the character of Yuen Hong de Bond's fortunes, cold, precise, and pedantic, he tells the objects not of his flame but of his declarations, that he is consumed with passion, dying of despair, devoured with love talking at the same time in parenthetical apologies, nicely balanced antithesis, and behaving himself with the most frigid formality, his bow that old-fashioned and elaborate manual exercise called, making a leg, is in itself an epitome of the manners and customs of the ancients. Madame Vestries and Mr. C. Matthews played Lady and Lord Whiffley to also exceedingly difficult characters, but by these performers most delicately handled, they are a very young, inexperienced almost childish, and quarrelsome couple. Frivolity so extreme as they were required to represent demands the utmost nicety of coloring to rescue it from silliness and inanity, but the actors kept their portraits well up to a pleasing standard and made them both quite spirituals more French that morning post will be the ruin of us, as well as in a high degree natural, all the rest of the players, being always and altogether actors, within the most literal meaning of the word, were exactly the same in this comedy as they are in any other, Mr. Didier had in Lord Dangerfield one of those parts which is generally confided to gentlemen who deliver the dialogue with one hand thrust into the bosom of the best the other remaining at liberty, with which to saw the air, or to shake hands with a friend, Mr. Harley played the part of Mr. Harley called in the Bills Humphrey Rumbish precisely in the same style as Mr. Harley ever did and ever will, whatever dress he has worn or may wear, the rest of the people we will not mention, 
not being anxious for a repetition of the unpleasant fits of yawning which a too vivid recollection of their dullness might reproduce. The only merit of court and city being in the dialogue the only merit of that consisting of minute and subtle representations of character, and these folks being utterly innocent of the smallest perception of its meaning or intention the drafts they drew upon the patience of the audience were enormous, and but grudgingly met, but for the acting of Farron and the managers, the whole thing would have been an unendurable infliction, as it was, it afforded a capital illustration of ten thousand a year, the dramatic capabilities of ten thousand a year, as manifested in the vicissitudes that happened to the Yottenberg appropriately recorded by Mr. Warren in Blackwood's magazine have been fairly put to the test by a popular and piquante playwright. What a subject! With ten thousand a year a man may do anything. There is attraction in the very sound of the words. It is well worth the penny one gives for a bill to con over those rich, euphonious, delicious syllables ten thousand a year. Why, the magic letters express the concentrated essence of human felicity the summum bonum of mortal bliss. Charles Aubrey, of Yachton, in the county of York, Esquire possesses ten thousand a year in landed property, a lovely sister in yellow satin, a wife who can sing, and two charming children, who dance the mazurka as well as they do it at Almax, or at Mr. Baron Nathan's, as is generally the case with gentlemen of large fortunes, he is the repository of all the cardinal virtues, and of all the talents, good husbands, good fathers, good brothers, and idly's landlords, are plenty enough, but a man who, like Aubrey, is all these put together, is indeed a scarce article, the more so, as he is also a profound scholar, and an honest statesman, in short, though pretty well versed in the paragons of virtue that belong to